Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. As always, we will thank our friends at New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and one uh, consistent sponsor for us that we're ever so fortunate to be able to partner with. Uh, Bud, this is a you know, like everything, trying to trying to make sense of what the landscape looks like, but we'll do a little bit of Corona-related conversation Things where stand right now as far as scheduling, other ideas, uh, move into some early numbers from Vegas, have a little bit of recruiting talk. Uh, we'll put together a, a show here. Look forward to getting into it and uh, doing yet another COVID Nolcast edition. Indeed. I'm, I'm really pretty tired of, of talking about this, but I, I really don't think it's something you can ignore as far as the impact on the sport what we're learning about how coaching uh, coaches and, and players and administrators are dealing with it. And uh, you're right. This is a jam packed show we have tonight. I, I think there's a good chance this could end up being, uh, being two shows depending on how long, how long we go. So uh, we'll, I guess we'll just have to see. You'll have to listen to the end uh, to, to tell if it ends up being like 40 or 45 minutes, you know, there's probably a second part coming. Uh, if we, if we throw something on there, it's like 70 minutes, probably not going to have two 70 minute shows back to back. All right. Uh, so I, I think we need to open tonight just because of, of when we're recording this. And for the sake of transparency, it's uh, about nine o'clock on Tuesday evening. And uh, we have to start probably with Mike Gundy's comments. And we'll, we'll relate these to Florida State in, in a little bit. Uh, so just bear with us here. But Mike Gundy today talking about how young people are, are more equipped to, uh, to handle the virus and how they need to get players uh, back uh, because this, they need to get some money pumping through the state of Oklahoma. And a lot of people rely on these games being played uh, for their living. That was uh, probably not, first of all, it really stood out because most coaches out there, other than Dabo, who was talking about how he still is taking his private jet because he, he wipes it down uh, for his vacation stuff. Most coaches out there have either not said anything on this or basically just deferred to their university statement. So, some coaches have gone above and beyond and and shot PSAs like, like Coach Orgeron did at LSU. We're going to stop coronavirus and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Gundy's comments stood out to me just because of how, how different they were. Uh, and honestly, like how just completely out of touch with reality. First of all, Ingram, how many people do you think are going to be consulted on the return of college football before they get to college coaches? Because I, I bet you it's a lot more than the average listener thinks. It's, it's an awful lot more, and it's certainly more than, than college football coaches would want to think. I really wouldn't have taken too much. I, I could have seen what he was saying if he didn't add the, we got to get people in here to make money for, for Oklahoma uh, or for the, the people of Oklahoma. Um, if he wanted to make an argument that, hey, you know, maybe we can provide a, a safer, more consistent environment, constant testing and monitoring, et cetera. But the idea that he then leveraged his comments with the, the economic part of it. And uh, yeah, when you have an unpaid labor force, it's it's real dicey when you start to talk about comments that uh, you need you need the the oil that makes the uh, the economic machine run and uh, yeah, particularly tone deaf. Bad time. He kind of said the quiet part out loud. He screamed it. Right, the NCAA is is running this kind of, I don't want to call it a scam, but they're definitely running this game to where it's like the, these these players are amateur athletes and, and all this stuff, right? And meanwhile, it's it's a billion dollar business, in part because they don't have to pay the labor force, uh, and so they end up massively overspending on other things. If you're if you're a lawyer on one of these cases that's arguing that these players are employees, you love Gundy's comments. You're like, look at look at this. 
he's clearly saying these guys are not normal students. They are basically employees, except they don't pay them. So something something's wrong here. And I did want to contrast that to what Coach Norvell has said on, on the subject, which is basically like, look, this is completely outside our control. Our feelings are with the people of the state of Florida. We're doing our best we can to make sure that our players are supported in every way we can, both you know, mental health and physical well-being and making sure academics are in order, all that kind of stuff. Just sometimes boilerplate, I mean, it's probably from the heart, but just a standard, not crazy person comment is just what's required. And here, I mean, like Ingram, we could draft, you and I just go back and forth, all the people who will be making the decision on when college football returns, but we literally don't have all night because it would go like, all right, the governor, the legislature, uh, the, the health organizations, the doctors, lawyers, university presidents. We can play play ping pong back and forth. It's a, it's just a silly, you know, it's an unforced error. And uh, I think it tends to happen more to people like Gundy or Dabo, people that have been entrenched at a university for a long enough time uh, to where they feel, um, you know, comfortable with a little bit more freedom of words and, and maybe haven't been challenged all that frequently uh, by by local media, although it's not really the local media's job to fight back against college coaches. That's not what I'm saying. But when you when you get in that kind of bubble for that long, I think you're more prone to say uh, dumb things. And uh, yeah, look, we don't want to belabor it, but what Gundy said was a was a dumb thing and isn't going to do anybody favors. Yeah, that, it was that was interesting. So uh, Coach Ravel has talked about controlling what his coaches can control and. I wrote a piece this week uh, for 24-7 Sports along with uh, about eight of my other uh, colleagues there who reached out and spoke with college coaches. And I'm obviously not going to tell you uh, which uh, colleges we spoke with because they spoke on the condition of anonymity. Uh, but we learned some interesting things. First of all, the NCAA has said that the uh, the staffs, they can send workouts to players, right? But those workouts have to be voluntary. And if you don't know, Players are not on campus right now. At least you know, most of them are not. Most of them have returned home. Uh, so they can send workouts. They can send customized workouts. Uh, differing schools have told us that they have sent weightlifting equipment, food, nutritional stuff, protein, uh, supplements, all, all those type of things to players. Other coaching staff say that they're not doing that, and, and it's not clear if, if they're allowed to do that. We obviously saw the Alabama thing where they sent Apple Watches to all, all their players. Uh, which is interesting because the NCAA specifically said uh, that coaching staffs may not monitor uh, or receive feedback from players on how those workouts are going. So like the players are not supposed to send their workout videos to the coaches, right? <clears throat> wink, wink. And uh, and if you're Alabama, uh, you might have to quickly put out a clarifying statement after Nick Saban's press conference that says, well, we're only using them to monitor the mental, mental health and uh, sleep patterns. Of, of our athletes to make sure their, their mental health is good. Of course. Strictly a timepiece. <laughs> no, no element of big brother to that whatsoever. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, it was, it was an interesting uh, piece that we wrote, but you know, we had coaches say, Hey, like, look, I might have two kids who I want to come back to campus at 300 pounds. And one of them's going to come back at 270, And the other is going to come back at three thirty because of the varying ability uh, to get access to quality nutrition, either, like the right kind of calories or on the flip side, just enough calories of, of any type, uh, which which is all just kind of an interesting challenge here. And we do think the variance of the roster that the schools are going to have when it comes back is, is going to be pretty interesting. We also know that, that academics-wise, this is a challenge 
because monitoring what's going on in some of some of these online classes is perhaps not as easy as it would be if you're seeing all these players, you know, constantly in study hall and and at academic meetings every week. So, uh, you know, I know we had one administrator give a quote to one of our guys was like, "Don't be surprised if you have more kids this fall ineligible." Uh, to play than, than you would in a normal fall, just because of of, of the change in in, uh, in circumstance. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Scheme wise, they're allowed to spend two hours a week with the players uh, meeting, like like over Zoom. And, and as you know, Florida State didn't get a very much installed done at all with their spring practice stuff. They only had three spring practices and, and none, you know, with, with with full pad tackling and whatnot. I had a coach tell me this. He said, "But here's the trick: if the player comes to me." It doesn't count as part of the two hours, according to that school's compliance staff. So basically, it's like in a normal situation, if the player comes up to your office, a lot of compliance staffs, assuming you didn't call the meeting with it, if the player just pops in, a lot of compliance staff say you do not have to chart that with your 20-hour you know, limit rule or here, your, your, your two-hour limit rule uh, per week. Now, I know some schools, including like, I'll, I'll give you an example here, Northwestern's compliance people they do consider that part part of the 20 and, and they're extremely strict on it. Florida State's compliance staff is pretty strict, but I don't know how they handle uh, that situation specifically if, if a player comes to a coach. But, you know, hi- hypothetically, man, this this could be an interesting situation in which, uh, you know, in, in which maybe several players come to a come, come to a coach's office uh, just unprompted and the coach happens to pick up on the Skype call or the Zoom call. And hmm, they're able to chat and they're able to talk outside of the, uh, the designated hours. Certainly makes sense. And we'll we'll talk about the subject matter of uh, video games and how some schools are utilizing those. But yeah, I think the same thing you said last week is that basically if you, you enter into a conversation with a coach uh, online, whether it be through a video game or uh, one of these mobile communication systems everybody's using right now, that uh, basically you're not on the clock. You can speak freely and uh, your time's unlimited. Uh, before we move into one other facet of kind of how things are changed or what are these independent uh, factors are, we started the conversation with Mike Gundy tonight and uh, what Oklahoma State just uh, filed a kind of an official response to his comments. Is that right, bud? Yeah, it looks like uh, they are saying, um, oh, here we go. Uh, official statement uh, in response to comments made by Coach Mike Gundy today. Quote, uh, everyone wants to return to some degree of normalcy as soon as possible. As for Oklahoma State University, we will adhere to advice from public health experts who are making informed decisions in the best interest of the citizens of our nation and the state uh, based on sound scientific data. Uh, we will also abide by federal and state mandates as well as Big 12 guidelines, which, as we discussed, is interesting because Mike Gundy wants to be back on May 1 and the Big 12 has already said nothing until May 31st. So, you know, a little bit of a difference there. Uh, we will not compromise the health and well-being of our campus community. This virus is deadly, and we will do our part at Oklahoma State to help uh, blunt the spread. So, yeah, interesting there. Uh, comments from Oklahoma State essentially saying, yeah, he coaches football. He doesn't actually do like important stuff other than that. All right, Ingram, let's, let's pause real briefly here to bring you a message from Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a longtime sponsor of the Nolcast and a proud supporter of ours. He's also a board-certified family law expert. There are 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida, and less than 0.002% of them are board-certified in family law. That means when you call Travis Johnson, 
at 850-435-9919. You are getting one of the very few experts in the field of family law in the state of Florida. That, that's a pretty big deal. And here's Travis's message to you. We know this is a pretty trying time. So Travis writes, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy during this pandemic. Hopefully the measures being taken across the state and country will limit the scope and duration of the current problems. However, these same measures have already resulted in millions of people being laid off, furloughed, or losing their income, with more sure to come. No one knows how long the situation will last, but if you have a child support or alimony obligation, you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court-ordered modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing, not to the time of the change in your income. Even if you expect only a short-term loss of income, we can help you temporarily reduce your support obligation. Now look, if you mention the Nolcast, this is for Nolcast listeners only, Travis will actually offer you right now a free consult and will work with you on flexible rate payments. So check that out. If you call Travis, 850-435-9919 free console, and flexible rate payments. We know a lot of y'all have changing circumstances. Please take that number down again, 850-435-9919. You might not need it today, but it's great to have when you do. And we thank Travis for support of the show. Okay, we talked about basically like how coaches are staying in communication with their players and with each other. Uh, Here's something for you. I also reported about this this week and uh, I think this does impact Florida State because Florida State is one of these type of programs. I'm not saying Florida State specifically has guys like this, but you can kind of read between the lines here. I, I was just having a discussion with some coaches and they were like, look, one of the issues is all these ACTs and SATs keep getting canceled. So on the one hand, for the class of 2021, like we don't really have these results from a lot of these kids yet. And some of the better academic schools would really like to know uh, what's going on with their prospects and do they have the SAT scores necessary to be able to to earn an offer? And look, all schools want to know. If you're a really good academic school, you might want to know a, a little bit more uh, because that that your admission standards are harder. But here's the flip side of this. Some of these schools that recruit on the academic margins and take kids who on their own merit academically would never, ever get into college without without sports. And and I think there's a lot of good that it's actually allowing those, those players in, obviously, because it, it helps to make a more diverse culture of, of of backgrounds on campus. Some of those schools are waiting for their athletes to, like who are going to enroll in June or July to take those tests in March or April. And Ingram, there aren't tests in March or April now because they've all been canceled. You got a lot of problems going on here. And, I, and I've got coaches saying, like, we don't know what are they going to do? Not allow the kid to, to enroll in the school? Is the NCAA going to kind of grant some sort of waiver here? Are they going to lower the standards? Are they going to make the prospect uh, take an academic redshirt or something? That These are all concerns that coaching staffs have. And, I, and I'm interested uh, to kind of see how that plays out. There may be kids on Florida State's class of 2020 who you're expecting to enroll who all of a sudden you know, might have some issues doing so. Yep. Who knows? Absolutely. Like, this is a problem. Every, every school lives on the margin, or at least every school that plays big-time college football when it comes to getting kids in. And, uh, you know, late and, and slash last uh, standardized testing is, is a method that a lot of a lot of times it ends up working out, bud. And, uh, yeah, if you don't get that uh, that crack at the one of these last standardized test opportunities, then that could really have a massive impact on uh, how much of your class actually ends up looking like uh, – 
what you thought it was either either two months ago or or when you got done with the early signing period in December. So uh, another little wrinkle to how things are changed and and how the landscape may be altered. Talking about really altering landscapes, obviously the idea of games is something that we've uh, talked about and had a really good conversation with Dan Corso. If that's not a something you've listened to, I would encourage you to go back and listen to a podcast we recorded a week ago uh, with somebody that oversees uh, the all the uh, larger athletic events in the city of Atlanta for the Atlanta Sports Council. But we're starting to hear kind of hypotheticals. We talked in last week's episode about what like the Chinese Basketball League was doing. Uh, you're real up to date with some of the baseball proposals. One idea that's been thrown around is maybe college football games without, without fans in the stadiums. And that's, look, I think everybody will do anything that brings us college football in the fall, but that's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of perils in that hypothetical, in my opinion. I looked at this th- this week and I tried to think about like would this work for college football? And, and I think both of those words, both the college and the football, uh, really matter here. It, could you make empty stadium college football work? I wrote about this for twenty four seven, and ultimately my, my conclusion here is, is that no, we are not going to see empty games at Doe Campbell Stadium. Right, at least not not by design. First of all, let, let's let's take the word football. That's a different sport than a lot of these other sports that, that are proposing this. In football, you have like a hundred guys on each side, plus coaching staffs and training staffs, referees, etc. Like all people that are necessary to put on a football game, plus the TV people. You, you are easily, easily over three hundred people involved, even if you don't allow any media there. Uh, other than just the broadcast network, it, easily 300 people involved, they're gathering um, for each college football game. That's a whole lot more than what you might have to, let's say, I don't know, have a tennis event or perhaps a golf event or you know, even a baseball game is, is a, a small fraction of that. Let's add in there that, that football, just by its nature, is not only a contact sport, but a collision sport. And thus, you're in very close contact with each other, hard contact. You have you know, sweat and blood and spit and all that kind of stuff going everywhere. A, a lot of, of swapping of fluids, which is obviously a pretty good way to, to catch the virus. So just by the very nature of the game, football is not really a, well, a game well-suited to be played uh, if the virus is still rampant. You really can't social distance while playing the, the sport of football. So that, that's, that's one point why I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. My next point here uh, is that it's also like, even if you could and you were testing constantly, as soon as one player from a team catches it, right? The whole rest of the team has to be shut down for two weeks. The team that they just played recently has to be shut down for two weeks. And then the teams that those teams played the week prior and maybe the week prior they also have to be shut down for the 14 days. And now you have thrown the entire scheduling model of college football into complete chaos. Now, that's true regardless of whether there's fans in the stands or not. But clearly, I think the fans in the stands hypothetical involves a situation where maybe that they are proposing that somehow like the risk is acceptable there. Uh, but ultimately, it would totally screw up the, the scheduling model uh, if, if you were going to try and do that. The other part of my argument for this to why it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense is this, the word college. I really have a hard time believing that you can see a scenario in which college administrators, the people who are responsible for upholding the sham, 
That is the NCAA model, right? I really have a hard time not seeing somebody in their group step up and say, wait a second. If it's not safe for us to have college students back on campus and not safe for us to have regular people and college students in the stands, how does it look if we have college students who are unpaid labor playing on our field and risking them getting infected? Right? Like that kind of goes back to the whole, like, if you do this, they look a lot more like employees than they do, you know, like just regular amateur athlete college students. So if a pro league does this, I think there are some obvious risks and I I think it'd be harder to pull off than some people want to assume. But at least in a pro league, there's a little bit of kind of a bargain going on, right? To where most of these these guys in the pro leagues are, are compensated uh, very handsomely, it would be a, sort of an assumption of the risk type deal. They're they're accepting their their paychecks. They're uh, most of their agreements are collectively bargained. You know that they're represented by unions. They're a little more, a little bit more equal bargaining power there on that stage. I I don't think we can equate college football players with NFL players or Major League Baseball players uh, when when considering this argument. I think you make a great point. It's it's very much, in my opinion, the third thing here. It's it's empty. You know, empty stadiums mean that you don't have traveling fans. You don't have hotels being filled. You don't have, uh, you know, fans going to uh, to bars and renting all the you know accessories that are that come with college football. And it's quite the situation. Uh, and man, I agree with you. I'm beginning to become a little bit more pessimistic about it. But I I do think there will be scheduling flexibility uh, with the idea of getting this this particular college football season in uh, the likes of which. Uh, you know, we'd never seen before. And it wouldn't shock me to see us maybe, you know, look at starting in as late of a point as necessary. Now, we're kind of, we're sitting here into the first week of April. We could have some major therapeutic uh, breakthrough. We could have, you know, some advancement in medicine that renders all of this null and void. But uh, I do think everybody involved is fully invested in in trying to get the college football season in in, in one form or fashion. All right, we'll pause uh, ever so briefly to thank our friends at uh, Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group. As always, we will remind people that uh, the 17th of each month is Reuben Day and, uh, by all accounts, very much remaining on the schedule. So uh, we've we've talked about it, and like we said, the, the message really hadn't wavered much here. Just asking people to support uh, Matt Thompson and his entire team uh, in any way possible, and if that means going in for uh, a curbside pickup, that's fantastic. If it means going online uh, and ordering merchandise, uh, if it means ordering uh, gift cards in, in April and May with the idea of utilizing them in September, October, uh, we just ask that people do all they can uh, to continue to support our friends who uh, you know, make the experience of, of being a Florida State athletic supporter uh, all that more all that more of a more detailed, greater thing. And uh, nobody has their, their finger on the pulse of the fan base quite like they do and also uh, I, I hate the experience that they're going through but if you want to talk about engines of uh, ingenuity and seeing really creative people uh, come up with ideas it's it's been kind of interesting to see what Matt and his whole team have done and uh, you know maybe we'll continue to be involved in uh, in some of the things that they're coming up with during this unique time so uh, a thank you to them as always and a thank you to the listeners who have uh, really responded incredibly well so far and been wildly supportive of them. They were our day ones and, and, and we're certainly pulling for them and we love how our NOLCAST fans support them, whether it's buying a gift card or, or a t-shirt or you know, having their office if they're local, go for takeout. 
thanks to you all for supporting them and we ask that you do keep doing so. Ingram, I think they'll move heaven and earth to play this college football season. Like, like if I could, if I could bet on some stuff here and to be clear, I'm really trying to avoid, you know, throwing down a bunch of money offshore right now because I have no idea like if these games might get canceled or moved back or, or, you know, basically change to where any kind of futures bets you make or, 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 or void. I would bet heavily on the season being played. I would not bet heavily on all the games starting exactly on time. Now, I don't know if that means like maybe they push it back a week or something. I, I, I really don't know. I, I'm extremely certain they will play some type of college football season. Now, whether that starts September 1, October 1, January 1, December 1, hell, January 1, whatever. Like that to me is less important, but they, I, I'm very certain they will play a college football season this year. Because, and, and the number one reason that, that I believe that is money. These schools depend on football. It's nice that they have all these other sports. Football is the sport that supports everything else, period, point blank. If you don't have football, you don't have an athletic department. You would have to do some pretty drastic stuff in terms of probably cutting sports, firing people. Uh, across a lot of different sports, if you didn't have a football season, just one lack of football season could really crush your budget. And it'll probably make some smaller schools just fold athletics. You know, I mean, like it, it's unless they get some kind of bailout associated with that. It, you know, one of the things we don't talk about, but and I'm not trying to be like anti NCAA here. I think my, my feelings on like, I love college football as a sport. I love watching it. It's also a little bit of internal conflict because. You know, obviously, there's some some model stuff that, that that concerns me, but one of the unintended consequences of schools having to constantly spend down and spend crazy amounts of money on facilities and all these things, it, one of the reasons they do that is because they want to show that they don't make any money, so they don't have to actually pay their players. Hundred percent, hundred percent. They don't keep big reserves, though. You know, we we live in a model that doesn't allow them to create reserves. This is not something that. Uh, these universities uh, bank $29 million a year of this TV money. You're, you're 100% right. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of expenses. You can argue that some of these are inflated and things like that. But in the to pretend to be broke, you do have to spend an awful lot of that money. And uh, you're right. There is no cash pool. There is no real emergency fund. When you're buying slides, chocolate fountains, and everything else that uh, exists in this current day of college athletics, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, uh, there's not a whole lot sitting in the sitting in the savings account. First of all, do you think Florida State would have to cut sports if they didn't have football? A hundred percent, yes, I do. I, I do. Like multiple sports? I think it would be very, very problematic. Um, look, I, I was not in in the meeting, so I, I feel pretty comfortable about the line of information that we were getting through uh, some of the concerns about. Uh, boosters pledge and, and percentage of pledges being seen through. There was some modeling, and obviously the the idea of modeling is a <laughs> is a is a phrase that has a lot of a, a real high Q rating right now. Uh, but there was some modeling that the the sum of all fears for a, a college athletics department uh, when they were looking at at some of the fears uh, with with retaining Willie Taggart and a sum of all fears for a college athletic department is having to go to some of your sports and, and talk about real concerns about funding them. So I can only imagine what uh, what a reduced NCAA basketball payout combined 
with uh, a college football season not existing, that's uh, I, I think anything's on the table for a lot of these schools. Absolutely. I would agree with you. I know that's not something they want to do. I, you know, one of my hopes here it, it, w- with this whole thing, as far as like, can some good come of this? I would really like to see a scenario in which maybe the government's able to, to change up Title IX to where they exempt football. This is something I know we've discussed prior on this show, and this would really help Florida State out as well. If you didn't have to balance out all your football scholarships with a bunch of other sports for, uh, you know, with a bunch of other women's sports, if you exempt football, right, then you're talking about 85 scholarships that you don't have to balance out on the other side. And, and the issue here is there's really not an equivalent uh, women's sport to, to football. I mean, you need three or four different women's sports just, just to make up for football. And so it, it skews it uh, so much. And, and of course, none of your women's sports make money. They're, they're all they're all losers as far as money goes. Well, I don't want to say it's at the pro level because I'm sure some WNBA teams probably make money somehow. Uh, but at the college, college sports level, women's sports do not make money it, with very few exceptions. Like maybe like women's basketball at UConn for a while, you know. Yeah, Tennessee during a period of, t- of time during Pat Summit, I think was a, a revenue positive. But like Florida State won, won the softball national title and they, they don't make money on softball. Like that, that's that's a losing sport. If you could get Title IX to exempt football and who knows, like I, I have no idea what the government's position would be on this. And I, don't, I don't know who would push it through. And it, in this political climate, it, that, that might not happen. That you could know? actually help some of your some of your balance concerns, and then you could actually go about uh, doing some cutting to, to some sports that really don't make money for even you. Even if you could just get a, a plus a point five put on it, you know, e- even if it just means forty two scholarships, not eighty five. And, and look, uh, you know, I know the idea you just mentioned it. I, I don't think you were suggesting you were being a proponent of it. And uh, UCF's AD floated the idea four or five days ago, but I I don't think there's any chance in hell of college athletics getting a bailout, right? So maybe there's a little bit of flexibility with some of this stuff. And, and like you said, Title IX is not an not a easy subject matter where changes happen rapidly. But uh, that's certainly, in my opinion, far more likely than, you know, really talking about college athletics getting, getting federal money pumped into it. I'm also very interested to know, you know, what kind of donor money is, is coming in from Florida State right now. I mean, clearly, like, that was one of the reasons why they made, why they made the move on Willie Taggart. In fact, that was probably the number one reason. Right, it wasn't like there was some head coach out there that they felt they had to go get. It was it like it wasn't like, hey, we have a chance to go get Bob Stoops. We have to act right now. I mean, we know they kicked the tires there, obviously, but it was really a situation to where the pledges that had already been made to them were not being fulfilled at anywhere close to the normal rate, and so like they had already what borrowed against it, basically. Against those pledges? They had, uh, yeah, yeah. And there's the idea of outstanding loans against pledges made that weren't being fulfilled. And yeah, that, that starts to get, that starts to get a, a house of cards pretty quickly. That's like when you take a payday loan and you lose your job, you know? I mean, that, like that's, you, you, you're in a tight spot pretty quick. So I'm interested to see how this impacts Florida State. And I, I'd love to see what some of their internal modeling looks like. Uh, I, I do know that multiple schools have looked at different models and everybody I talk to who I trust in the industry, they basically say like, we're going to play this football season. Now, what is this football season? We don't know. It, it could be something that starts in October or November or whenever, which by the way, could lead to some fantastic sports weekends. Like if you think March is good now, if they start this season in December, 
like think about it. We'll have really great golf. We'll have baseball starting. I mean, you, you don't know what the basketball schedule is going to be like. You know, like there's a chance that we have the 2020 football season played in winter 2021. We don't have spring football. And then we, and we roll basically after kind of a, a abbreviated offseason into the 2021 football season. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's possible that it happens, but it, it, there, I think all options now are on the table uh, for schools, including Florida State. Very much so. I had somebody whose opinion who I think matters on the subject matter talk about talk about a November beginning for college football. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you could see quite the quite the shifted calendar. And where did the uh, what did the the uh, Masters just announce they were moving to second week in November, something like that? Yeah, and and that will be interesting. I was actually thinking from a, a wagering perspective, uh, maybe I, I would look harder at, uh, at some of the guys. Uh, from Europe, who, who are used to playing in a little bit colder conditions. Instant extrapolation of anything, straight to the gambling angle. I love it. I, I was thinking today, I was get, get, got to break it down. Man. I, I, I do think that that kind of mindset helps me in my job, though. You know, because I'm like, all right, what, what's the actual impact of this? Like, what, what's what's the long tail on this? You know, can this apply to this or this or this? And you know, we'll be sitting in, in our discussion like this kid will commit to this school. I'm like, all right, cool. We got the impact for the school he commits to, but like. What about the three or four schools who were in on it? Like, how does that impact them? Where do they turn? You know, and what about the other prospects who were trying to get that scholarship spot? You know, just trying to think in ways uh, like that for sure, man. All right. So speaking of, of gambling, this is a good segue here. Uh, Caesars came out with their odds. You know, DraftKings Sportsbook is out with theirs. Several offshore books that we're not uh, going to give publicity to here. Uh, they also came out with theirs. And um we, we won't delay this. Uh, we'll just cut right to the chase. Clemson is minus 600 to win the ACC. And our, our friend Chris Felica, the bear, you know, the guy on game day who's a really sharp better, by the way, he said Clemson minus 600 for the ACC was actually one of his best bets. So, ouch. If you're a Florida State fan, that's really not what you want to see. Uh, if you want to put money down on Florida State, you can win a pretty good chunk if they're able to win the league this year. But just so you're aware, Minus six hundred on Clemson to win the ACC means that you have to you have to lay six hundred down to make a net profit of one hundred. So if you want to profit a thousand bucks, you got to lay down six grand. I'm really having a hard time remembering the last time a Power Five conference team was that big of a preseason favorite to win its league. I, I really don't know when that was. I don't. You know, obviously this is something you follow a hell of a lot closer than I do, but. I'm not sure I ever remember a number like that. I'm sure there's been one. I just don't know if it's been in like the internet wagering era. I don't think the any of those Urban Meyer teams at Ohio State were. Certainly, we, we can basically eliminate the ACC or excuse me, the, the SEC because there's always been at least, you know, kind of one team to go up against Alabama, whether it was LSU in a given year or, you know, maybe somebody from the East in the early Saban days. Within the Big 12, I... Oklahoma's always been very good, but I just don't think their defense ever allowed them to be 600 favorites. That's that's pretty crazy. In the Pac-12, I I don't recall it. Maybe one of those Pete Carroll teams, perhaps, but I still don't. I don't really think so, man. And in the ACC, like I think 1999. I think that's how far you'd have to go back to find something like uh, to find a number like that, even close to it. And that was basically like pre-internet wagering. You know, for the most part, I, I, I don't or even the, know. The crudest of internet wagering. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was not internet wagering in 1999. Uh, I, I will tell you that. And if I was, I, I don't recall there being like 
preseason odds like that. Maybe there were. I, I probably national title odds, but I don't know if you could bet conference features online um, that far back. I, I think that's kind of a a newer phenomenon. So that, that that's sort of a historic number there, um, and, and it makes sense, right? Clemson, even if they drop a game, the thing is, do you really see any team in the ACC Atlantic Division a beating them and b Finishing seven and one, so, so that tiebreaker over Clemson actually matters within the division. I, I really don't. I have a hard time seeing anybody uh, in that side of the division doing better than six and two. So Clemson basically can drop a game and still make it to the ACC title game, in, in my opinion. I mean, m- maybe if not, if they lost Trevor or something like that. But like, even if you took Trevor off this team, I I still think they're probably the favorite. Now, they're not a minus 600 favorite if you take Trevor Lawrence off, off the Clemson Tigers, but it's an interesting uh, proposition there, and it, it does sort of help to kind of shine a little spotlight on, on just how far Florida, Florida State has to go to be competitive within this league. All right, folks, so that's probably as good as a moment as any to bring an end to part one here of uh, of this week's NOLCast. I'll just cut it up, have a second part coming for you. Uh, later probably have that out on friday so as always uh, thank you very much to you the listener thank you to our sponsors uh, very much enjoy being able to do these in uncertain times and uh, look forward to having another podcast out for you here in the next couple days thank you this has been the Nolcast. the Nolcast is created and hosted by bud elliott and ingram smith music by judson wright and produced by justin robinson go Knowles. 